Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Okay, um, as we've been going through the book of Acts, um, it's been a real interesting journey, um, especially, especially, as our brother Zebedee said, if you've been at the community groups, because we've been, um, been able to unpack um, just the, 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 the events and um, the, the, just the, the, as we're going through the text, just unpacking what it means and actually, you know, how does it apply to our lives? And so it's been great. <clears throat> and um, when we got to Acts 21, um, there was a, a, an incident that came up in the text with the Apostle Paul and Agabus the prophet and Philip and his daughters who prophesied. And um, it, it, it raised a lot of questions and it, it really um, provoked my heart really to kind of address some of those questions today. Um, we may seem to have been quite low-key recently just with regards to um, the sense of direction that God has given us for the year and for the foreseeable future. Um, it may seem that we've kind of been low-key in responding into to the way in which the Lord is um so I need to get some water. <clears throat> is this yours, bro? It is? Praise God. <clears throat> Amen. You think it's a joke when I say we're family, isn't it? <clears throat> Even though my girls don't drink from my cup. They can explain that one. But, you know, we may seem to have been kind of low-key in regards to just responding to the way the Lord's been working among us and speaking um, um, to us. And um, it's not the case. Um, we realize, you know, there's an old school saying that I used to hear growing up in, my, in church and my grand used to say, the Lord may not come when you want him, but he's right on time. The Lord's never in a hurry. And so um, we're, just, we're just walking with Jesus and enjoying the journey and um, enjoying the fact that the Lord is le leading us to take things forward decently and in order. And so um, this is our commitment. And yet, um, one of the things we had we'd spoken about was just the Lord having his way among us having his way with us as his people that we would be a people who are not just christians in name but we're christians in our action that there's a demonstration of our relationship with god that is real and it's tangible and it's um visible and it's able to be identified that we wouldn't be merely christians um in our heads but atheists in our practice. And so, 
again, um, in being able to address some of these issues today, it's a further challenge to us with regards to how we're outworking our relationship with God. We see that there is a premium and a focus on fruit. Fruit. There is a, there is a focus on character. Displaying the fruit and character of Christ. That we would be Christ-like. And yet we do also recognize that there is a, a, a place in scripture that calls us to be spiritually dynamic. To be spiritually dynamic. To be spiritually alive. And so, the issue of prophecy is such that it is clearly one of those areas that there is to be an expression of spiritual life amongst the congregation of the saints. And so that's what we're going to be considering today. We're going to be considering the issue of prophecy. Does God speak today? Does God utter words from heaven? Or has he said all he's going to say and is now silent? Does God have something fresh to say to you at certain times and given points in your life? Or has all been said and done? Well, we're going to consider the scriptures this morning. And consider those things. So let's just bow our heads in prayer. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you. You are faithful. We thank you, Lord, that for those of us who believe and have put our faith in Christ, having repented, we are your children. We are your children. And Lord, you love us. And Lord, you relate to us as your own. You are carefully and attentively concerned about our very lives. And Lord, in your infinite wisdom, power and understanding, you engage with us. And Lord, we know that the primary means by which you do that, Lord, having sent your son, is that you now engage with us through your word, which is the testimony of your son. Through your word, by the working of your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand you better, to know you more, to know your ways, that we might walk in them, that we would not be passive, but that, Lord, we would, with all of our hearts, like David said, that we would run after you. We would run after you. Not stroll, not casually consider whether we will or not, or how we will, but that, Lord, we will run after you with complete abandonment. 
And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, illuminate our understanding, help us to understand. Make your will known to us, Lord. And pour out your grace that we might walk in your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 21. Um, We're going to be reading from verses 1 to 14. Um, And then we're going to be going over to 1 Corinthians 14, where you'll be able to kind of camp there for a while. So let me read Acts 21. Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos, the following day to Rhodes, And from there to Patara. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding some disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit, not to go up to Jerusalem. When he had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, Both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. Paul is about 
the father's business. He is moving the message of the gospel. He is focused and he is relentless. Pastor Rob's been leading us through the message of the unstoppable gospel. And here we see Paul traveling and encountering believers on his travels. He lands in verse 3 at Tyre and finds disciples and lodges with them seven days. And whilst with them, they spoke to him through the spirit and said to him, don't go to Jerusalem. He moves on to Caesarea, verse 8. He goes to the house of Philip the evangelist, who had four virgin daughters who prophesied. More prophecy. On top of that, another guy comes into the picture. Agabus from Judea. With a word for Paul. Now this is an interesting scenario. And it was, I mean, I know it was great for us in our community group in Brixton. Big up all the Brixton crew. Amen. We went at this and we, we, we unpacked it. And we reasoned as to what was going on here. One minute the spirit saying don't go to Jerusalem. The next minute the Holy Spirit saying you're going to get bound in Jerusalem. But then Paul's determined to go. And at the end they say the Lord's will be done. I mean what is the Lord's will? That he should go? That he shouldn't go? That he should be bound? That Like what's going on here? Now, we've already kind of wrestled with that somewhat. But one of the things I wanted to highlight today was the fact that the Lord is speaking to his servant. The Lord is speaking to his servant. And Paul, at this stage in his travels, encounters a group of believers among whom prophecy and the gift of prophecy is operating without reservation. There are certain things that we can learn from looking at this experience, but it begs the question, does the Lord still speak like that today? If so, how? Why or why not? I'm sure that for all of us, there's been those times and those occasions where we love the Lord, we love his word, we're in it regularly, and yet we just feel like we need to hear something from God. We need something in that moment that's going to help us, that's going to encourage us, that's going to give us some kind of clarity. Maybe we're facing a decision and we're uncertain what to do. Maybe we're in a place where we're feeling dejected and downcast and far from the Lord and we just need some kind of affirmation. Maybe we're feeling weak. Maybe we've just been through a tough trial and we're feeling the worst for wear. And we just feel like, Lord, even when I open your word, I don't even know where to look. 
There's so much of it. And yet, we desire for the Lord to, to speak to our hearts. Does the Lord desire to speak to our hearts? Does the Lord speak to our hearts? Well, yes, he does. And you might be saying, well, to which of those <laughs> questions are you answering? Yes, he does. Yes, he does desire to speak to our hearts or yes, he does speak to our hearts. Both. Amen. Amen. One of the things that we have to never lose sight of is the love of God for his children. God loves us as his children with a unique love. It's a love that is unique and exclusive to his children. He loves us as his children in a way that he doesn't love the world. Because we are in Christ. And he is committed to glorifying his son. And for those of us who are in him, he is committed to us. Because he has drawn us together in Christ. And we see in a general sense, you know, I love people and yet I don't love people the way I love my children. I love my children with a unique kind of love, with a kind of love that will easily put a lump in the throat and make my chest feel thick. Because they're my children. And that's the way that God loves his children. I say that's the way. That's, that's a crude example of the way that God loves his children. Because his love is the fact that God would give his son a sacrifice to make us his. That's another level kind of love. And in Romans 8 it says, God having given us his son, Will he not give us freely all things according to his will? And so, the Lord is committed to walking with us, to talking with us, leading us and guiding us. And Jesus, in fact, said that I have to go that I might send to you the comforter. That he might engage in his ministry and work in you and for you and walk with you in a way that you have yet to experience as he spoke to the disciples. John chapter 14 right through to 16. And we see on the day of Pentecost that Holy Spirit came and the church was birthed. And the gift of the Holy Spirit had been given. And so, to all who believe, we've received this Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 13. 
by one spirit we were baptized into one body. That is the true baptism of the Holy Spirit that takes place in the life of every believer when you believe. And so we have God's spirit. The the comforter, the strengthener, the encourager. These are all synonyms for the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of his children. The strengthener. The Greek word is the paraclete. Para means beside. The one who is beside and yet he's in us. And he's constantly working on our behalf. And so in relation to that, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians addresses the Corinthian church in a corrective letter. There were a lot of issues going on in the church. There was sexual immorality. There was division. There were a lot of issues. And one of the issues was that they were functioning in an out-of-order fashion when they gathered together. And so he wrote to bring some clarification and correction as to how Christian fellowship ought to look in Corinth. And it's the same for all of us. And he speaks about prophecy. And he speaks at length about prophecy. In 1 Corinthians 12 verse 10, amongst the nine other inspirational gifts that are mentioned there, He mentions that it will be given to one to prophesy. But then in chapter 14, he says, you know what? Of all the gifts that you could experience by the Holy Spirit, prophecy is the one that you are to desire above all. And so let's look at chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Verse 1, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, before I break down prophecy and what we understand it to be, let me just firstly say there is a very common misconception within the church today as to what prophecy is. Now, I grew up in the Pentecostal church. One of the brothers saw me in my my jacket and my suit jacket today and he said, oh, Pentecostal's coming back. And I said, it never left me. Because Pentecost is in the Bible, right? And the coming of the Spirit is in the Bible. And the giving of the Spirit to the church is in the Bible. And so in that regard, I'm Pentecostal. I believe the Bible, right? I believe in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit within the church. Yet when I was growing up, all my days... I had a very confusing experience as to what that actually meant in practice. So, uh, and some of you may have heard this before, so bear with me if you have. When I was growing up in church, 
when it came to the evening service, you knew that was the time when if anything was going to happen, that's when it was going to jump off. Things would start popping like fireworks. And it would usually reach that point. Maybe it was like during the song service, as we would call it. People start to get worked up. The Holy Spirit would start moving, quote unquote. I'll put the bunny ears in there. It's important. Holy Spirit would start moving, quote unquote. And you know when certain sisters started to twitch? Hmm. The twitch. And you start see the hands start. And certain people get up and start stamp. The Holy Spirit's now moving, quote unquote. You might hear a cry of praise. There was one brother. Loved this brother. Senior gentleman in the church. And he was a brother who was a cool. This was one of them. He was a retired man, but this brother was cool. Cool. Always looked fly. And he just moved cool. And when he talked, he talked cool. But when he got in the spirit, quote unquote, listen, all the coolness went out the window. And he, and we, in, in our church, we had benches, long benches. I didn't have the luxury of chairs. And when he got in the spirit, quote unquote, you wouldn't even know it was coming. I, I better mind I don't mash up my laptop. All you would see is You guys still see me, yeah? Sitting down, cool. Just mm, soaking it in. Mm. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you would just hear this almighty stamp as he grabs the bench in front of him check my pockets and jumps up spirit of the living God father I stretch my hands to thee listen historic and then he'd sit back down Coolness gone. And on a really hot night, and I don't mean like hot in the climate, on a really hot night, he might stamp three times. Stamp, stamp. Hands on the bench in front. Knuckles white. Stamp. And scream out unto the Lord. There would often be 
open and free expression of the gift of tongues. Quote, unquote. People speaking in tongues over here, speaking in tongues over here. And you knew when that started, I mean, all of us youth, our heads just start to dip down. Because we know there's a message coming. And it was nine out of ten times a message of judgment. And you didn't want the, the person giving the message of judgment to catch your eye. Lest they focus on you. I remember one night, Achan was in the camp. Now, if you know about the story of Joshua, Achan was the guy who took the loot when he shouldn't have done, when God said, don't take nothing, and he buried it in his tent. Secret sin, hidden sin. And Achan was in the camp. And so there would be a speaking in tongues, then, thus saith the Lord. Because the Lord spoke in King James, right? Thus saith the Lord. Achan, Achan, what have you done, Achan? What have you done, Achan? Looking for Achan, you know. I was just like, I can't. Head was down. And then there would be a message of judgment, impending doom. And then things would sometimes roll on for... 45 minutes, an hour, organs rolling. Sometimes it would just peter out. Sometimes the pastor would just kind of call it to order and begin to share. But when I tell you that, I wonder if there's anyone who's ever had church experience like that, or is it just me? Is there anyone? There's a few people, right? So I've got a witness in the building. All right. So you, so you understand that this isn't an uncommon thing then by just judging by the amount of people that have put their hand up. This isn't an uncommon thing. It's not an uncommon experience. I remember during what was known as the Toronto Blessing, things got even deeper. You know, the running around the church, that became like minor. The, it, it, it then developed into people rolling on the floor and initially there was this, this, this kind of laughing wave it was just the, it was the wave of God and it's this, 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 the move of God and people would just laugh hysterically laugh to the cry, some people would laugh till they wet themselves and this was the move of the Holy Spirit quote unquote it got to the point where people were barking, clucking Certain people were hissing like a snake and all of this was supposed to be the Holy Spirit. Often accompanied by individuals who would share what would be a word from the Lord in a very, not even just ecstatic manner, but just scary, straight scary. Shaking, shaking, shaking and just seemingly just out of control. The Lord says, the Lord says to his church, the Lord says to his church. And it would be somehow scary, freaky, even madness on occasion. And for me and for us as pastors, because especially that latter era, 
Toronto Blessing era and so on, we were together in the same church. And our hearts were grieved to the point of vexation because we was like, you know what? We love the Lord and we believe in the working of his spirit, but we can't see this in the Bible. We don't understand how this is supposed to add up with what the scripture says. And it got to the point where we ended up leaving that church and leaving that movement entirely. Because it was a whole movement of churches. It wasn't even like a particular denomination. or It was a whole movement of churches that had embraced this. And in, and in embracing it, had forsaken the scriptures. Now, there was already problems from the outset. I was a child watching these so-called prophecies and word from the Lord being given. So the, the, the floor, the floor, the, the, the crack was already in the building. And given time, it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So I highlight that to say, you know what? One, I appreciate the environment that we're in and what is common for many of us in terms of what we understand to be the work of the Holy Spirit, quote unquote, and prophecy. I understand that for many of us, that is our point of reference. Even for those of us who were not Christians and maybe when we went and visited churches and visited friends and family, may have been exposed to that in some way or another. No experience is supposed to be our point of reference. Even for those of us who are genuinely seeking to allow the Holy Spirit to work genuinely among us as his people. We can't even rely on those experiences that we might look at as being genuine experiences. We have to rely solely on the text. Because we appreciate and understand that God's word is his will. 2 Timothy 3.16, the apostle Paul says to Timothy, the leader, the young leader, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Reproof, correction, training in righteousness that the man of God would be fully equipped and ready for every good work. So it's the Bible. Timothy, it's the Bible. You put the Bible in front of them, you instruct them from the Bible, that's where it's at. They want to know what to do, they want to know how to do it, Bible. Want to know what's right, Bible. Want to know what's wrong, Bible. And if you have any other standard in your life by which you judge or determine what is the will of God, you're in error. Straight. It's not because we as pastors say, or if you know you're visiting us today from another church and because your pastor says, if it is not Bible and it, the Bible is not the basis, you're in error. You see, I've come to learn that a lot of those experiences that I experienced when I was growing up was not the Holy Spirit at all. It was emotionalism. 
emotionalism, the, the deifying of emotions, it's different to being emotional. We're created with emotions. Our emotions are to serve us as we submit ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit according to the word. So we're supposed to have emotions. We're supposed to engage our emotions as we communicate our hearts and lives and the truth of God. But it is not on the basis of our emotions that we define what is the will of God and what isn't. Getting in the spirit was really just getting emotional. It would be more honest just to call it what it is. And the thing is, people became led by their emotions. And look, (laughs) here's the irony. It seems that people can get in the spirit anywhere at any time under any circumstances. Now, I'm going to qualify that. I I, I glimpsed... um, I don't even know what the show is called now. Um, what's the, the American Idol? It's running at the moment, right? There's a guy on there. He's, he's obviously from church. I can't remember his name. But he can sing. Oh, my gosh. And I saw yesterday him. Uh, he's in the last ten or whatever. And I saw him sing his song. And he sung a Stevie Wonder song. And it was, uh, it was obviously a love song. A song about a woman. It's not like he changed the words and sang it about it. He just sang the song. It was a love song. It wasn't, you know, unwholesome. He went up there, he'd done his thing, and he, he smashed the song out the building. And you see a clip of his family. And his family were in the aisles, getting in the spirit. As he sang this Stevie Wonder love song to whoever. And I thought to myself, you see, this is what happens when we just engage in cultural Christianity. Because we're moved, I mean, in the, in the aisle. Oh. Moved, you know. Translating that, and I mean, I'm making an assumption, right? But they were showing the moves commonly associated with one who is being moved by the Holy Spirit. So, the Bible has to be our point of reference. And in verse 1, it says, pursue love. I grew up in an era when people pursued spiritual gifts. Have you got all nine gifts of the Spirit? Have you been baptized with fire? Fire. <laughs> you think it's a joke it says pursue love not gifts 1 Corinthians 13 comes between chapter 12 and chapter 14 for a reason because it's the central focus and in chapter 12 he builds into chapter 13 he talks about the unity of the body that although there is diversity we are one And we're to serve one another. And the expressions of the gifts is for the edifying of the body. The building up of the body. Not so that we can achieve some kind of spiritual status symbol. That we're holy. That we're godly. Because we know how to twitch. Hey, 
when the singer hits that note. We got the word of the Lord. Make everyone feel nervous. Pursue love. How many of us really pursue love? Really run after, seek out, search for diligently with effort and embrace love. See, for us in our context, maybe we don't pursue the gifts, but we might pursue knowledge. We might pursue right doctrine, sound theology. But the Bible don't say abandon emotionalism and be given to rationalism where we deify understanding. Pursue love. By this all men will know that you're my disciples. Love is the primary, it's the foundation and the pinnacle. It's it's square one, the foundation under our feet and the highest heights to which we could aspire, love. And it is love that we are to pursue. And one of the things, looking back, I don't even know how far I'm going to get today. Oh, my days. But this is important stuff. One of the things, looking back, I understand that, you know what? There was a whole lot of people that knew how to twitch and shake and speak in tongues and jump and run around the church. But when it came to love, I saw some horrible things. Horrible. To the point where I literally saw, you know, like in, in, in the music world, you might have like a sound clash or an MC battle or a DJ battle. I saw like tongues battles. I'm absolutely serious. You think that's laughable. That could never be the case. I saw people not communicating with one another or they were having a battle in tongues. These were two people that wouldn't speak to each other. Two people that knowingly had, everyone knew they had animosity for one another. Ready to draw for the gifts. Show their spiritual. And when one walks forward and speaks in tongues and dips, then the other one comes and speaks in tongues and twirls. <laughs> the Bible says we're to pursue love. But we're also to desire spiritual gifts. Especially that we may prophesy. In some translations, it says, covet spiritual gifts. How do you think covet? It's an evil thing, right? Thou shalt not covet. But it's saying that that which is sanctioned by God is a godly desire to have. And the spiritual gifts are sanctioned by God. And so it's a godly desire to have, especially that we may prophesy. What is prophecy? 
prophecy is to tell forth or to foretell the word of God. It's to tell forth the word or to foretell on the basis of the word. It's to speak out the word in an inspired instance or to speak ahead of time based on the word. It's to proclaim and to predict. There's two dimensions to prophecy as we see it in scripture. Prophecy is the right word at the right time for the right reason. It is something that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. We see in 1 Corinthians 12, 10. It is the ability to apply God's word in that instance to a person, problem, or situation. It's the application of God's word. The stating of it and the application of it. So, the application of God's word. The word says, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. That's what the word says, right? In this instance, the Holy Spirit may know that that's something that someone needs to hear. And so as that scripture is stated, the Holy Spirit is, even before any clarification is given, the Holy Spirit is taking that and applying it to hearts. And applying it to that person or persons who need to hear that in this instance. So we see ultimately and primarily the application of the word is by the Holy Spirit on an individual's heart. And that individual will know that the spirit of the Lord is speaking to them. It will resonate with their heart. They will sit up and take note. Maybe that person was in a place where they'd been doubting God, doubting the existence of God. Maybe they'd been wrestling with trying to witness to a loved one who was a sold out atheist and just felt like they hit a dead dead end and didn't know what more to say. There could be a number of reasons why that word applies to that individual. But that person knows that it applies to them. Sometimes the person speaking, and most often the person speaking, may not even know that they are prophesying. There doesn't have to be, thus saith the Lord. Furthermore, there really ought not to be. And I'll clarify that. Over 30,000 verses of scripture in the Bible. And it's the Lord picking the right one for the right moment, for the right reason. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
the person may go on to apply that. So if you're here today and you have said there is no God, you need to repent of your foolishness. That's a direct application of the word. What should be done in response to the word? Well, one of the things is repent. If that's the view that you hold. And if that's been your line of defense and if that's what you've clung on to, to think that, you, you know, well, everything will be fine with me. Because there is no God anyway. You know what? God says, not me. God says you're a fool. Like the person who stands in the middle of the motorway and says, I don't believe in lorries. Stay there, innit? Now, that's the application of the word. Likewise, there may be a prediction in response to the word. A prediction in response to the word. And this is the the less common outworking of prophecy. This is the aspect of prophecy that is least common, um, experienced, and even secondary in regards to what prophecy actually means. We see this in the life of the prophets. So Moses was the first and great prophet. And Moses brought the law. Moses brought the law, having met with God person to person. And when Moses came down from having met with God, the mountains trembled, his face shone like the sun, till they had to put a veil over it. And he brought the two stones, the two tablets that had been written on by the finger of God. It was evident, even if anyone had any doubts, That Moses had gone up the mountain and had had an an encounter. Something had happened up there. And it was real. And so God done mighty works. And in and through those mighty works, he established his word. I'm doing Old Testament at college at the moment. It's banging. One of the things, there's a few things that's been sweet in me. And um, one of the things that my lecturer said, he said, you know what? All of the Old Testament prophets never gave a prophecy that was apart from or not based on the law that had been given. Anytime there was a prophecy, anytime there was a prediction that was going to be made, it wasn't just simply they got up and they had a vision or the word of the Lord came to them as, as it says and then they kind of just said what they felt and it had no relation to the law every prediction that they gave every prophecy that they made was based on the law and it was based on the people's response to the word of God so you've forsaken God How do we know? Because his law says A and you're doing B. 
Repent therefore. If you do not repent, this nation's going to come and draw you away with hooks in your noses. Or if you do not repent, you, you will be slain by the Lord. And it was always in response to what God had already said and proven to be his word via Moses. That is the basis of all of the Old Testament prophets ministry, even and including the predictions of the Messiah who will come and future events. So you see the book of Daniel and he's talking about these kings and these nations and so on. It's all in relation to what God has said already. Never apart from it. And so we see that principle remains. Let's consider for a minute Acts 21 as a little case study. Now, in Acts 21 verse 4, the believers he was with in Tyre said to Paul, don't go up to Jerusalem by the Holy Spirit. He then meets Agabus, who seems to add to this. This is what the Jews are going to do at Jerusalem to the person who owns this belt. So he predicts what's going to happen in Jerusalem. In response to that, we see that the people discouraged Paul from going to Jerusalem. So what was the will of God? Why why would they discourage Paul? Or why would Paul be determined to go against the will of God if prophecy was saying to him, don't go because danger is ahead. One of the things we appreciate about prophecy is that, one, if it's new, it ain't true. If it's new, it ain't true. If it's some new fandangled idea, that has nothing to do with the word of the Lord, then you know it ain't true. Also, particularly in relation to personal prophecy, if someone's coming to you to tell you, yeah, I've got a word from the Lord, I really feel the Lord saying to you X, Y, and Z. It's already going to be consistent with what the Lord has been saying to you personally. It's not going to catch you by surprise. God isn't going to send someone to say something to you that he hasn't already been speaking to your heart concerning. It's only going to be a confirmation. One of the other things we learn is that when the Lord may encourage us to share something, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, at this point in time, we see through a glass dimly. We have partial understanding. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. And what's clearly going on here is these people are 
being given a sense of what God is saying is going to happen in Jerusalem, but they're interpreting it to mean one thing when that's not what God meant to be the application of it. Paul already knew, he already said in chapter 20 that he was going to go to Jerusalem. Back when he got converted on the road to Damascus, God had already said to him, I'm going to show you the things that you will suffer for my name's sake. He already knew that was God's will and purpose. And so he wasn't phased or distracted or diverted because of their interpretation of what God was saying. And it goes to show the the vulnerable nature of relying on prophecy and why we have to fundamentally rely on God's word. Wow, time is against me. God was saying, go to Jerusalem. He'd been saying that from previously before. And in many ways, Paul was being tested in this instance. A bit like the story of 1 Kings 13 that I shared a a couple months back. Where the Lord had said to the prophet, when you leave here and you've delivered your prophecy, don't stop and eat with anyone. Just head straight back. And then another man came, the man of God, and said, oh, you're the prophet. Yeah, I'm a prophet as well. The Lord told me to tell you to come and sit down and eat with me. And you know the thing was? The guy was actually genuinely a prophet. That second man of God that came along and said, oh, you're a prophet. Yeah, I'm a prophet. The Lord, he was being honest. Why? Because the Lord was testing if that prophet, the first guy, would be faithful to what he'd already been told. Would he be faithful and stick with what God had already told him, or would he deviate at this new word? If it's new, it ain't true. God had already indicated, Paul, you've got to go to Jerusalem. The question here is, are you going to go, Paul? And so, verse 14, they determined the will of the Lord be done, which is exactly what happened. Paul was heading to Jerusalem, and as we we know the story unfolds, God protected him, preserved him from being killed, ensured his trials got moved forward, and so he was headed through according to the will of God. And so, we see prophecy being expressed here. And we see it in a predictive nature. We see these individuals grasping at trying to understand what it is God is saying and why he's saying it. And yet, Paul knew by the Spirit what it meant. Because the Lord had already been speaking to him about his future. Question. They made a prediction as to what was going to happen in Jerusalem. 
was that based on the Bible? How can we weigh and examine a prediction to know if it's true? How can we weigh and examine a prediction to know if it's based on scripture? I said previously that the Old Testament prophets made predictions based on the law of God. When we look at this example, are we able to determine whether this is based on the word of God in any way? Well, I believe that we are. I believe that this is consistent with what God has previously said to the extent that Paul could have confidence that God was was actually speaking. If you look at Matthew 23 and verse 37, you will see what Jesus said as he was on his way to Jerusalem. Now, let me take it to um, verse 34 to give context, and I'll end with this. Therefore, this is Matthew 23, verse 34. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all the righteous bloodshed on the earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah. Whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is reflecting on historic Jerusalem and how they treated the prophets. How Jerusalem and the religious system that they led and represented, how they had treated consistently throughout time past, how they had treated those people who were sent by God. Paul was being sent by God to Jerusalem to carry the gospel. Why was anything going to be any different? Especially in light of what Jesus said. So what Agabus the prophet was saying was consistent with what God has already said. And it could be received as such. It grieves my heart when I flick on Christian TV. Or I see the YouTube clips. And every minute, this is your day, this is your year of jubilee. Seven steps to the biggest breakthrough. Ten steps to the overcoming life. I have a word from the Lord for you. 
Your financial breakthrough is around the corner. Press through. Push. Pray until something happens. Hype. Fleshly hype. Man-centered hype. Why? Because the Bible tells us, you know what? All who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If all I'm ever expecting is breakthrough, year of jubilee, financial abundance, um, you know what? I've missed the point. I've not understood God's outworking of his plan and purpose throughout the time in which we live. I've not understood the Bible. That is part of our experience as believers. But it is a part of it. It is not the sum total of our experience that we will walk on water every day and be untouchable, glow in the dark. But that's the impression that you so often and most constantly get from these quote-unquote prophets. Someone said they ain't prophesying, they're prophesying. I think that was Medea. And that's the reality. And that's what we see, the abuse. The abuses that are committed in the name of prophecy. And you know, people ought not to be quick to prophesy. You find that those who prophesy faithfully and accurately are people who, have a, who understand the word of God. And those who are soaked in the word, students of scripture, then somebody can stand up and confidently say something from the word, applying it rightly. And so, God does desire to speak today. God does speak today. God has spoken and the reality is he's not saying anything new. The children of Israel got manna from heaven every day. And what was their complaint? It's the same thing every day. We want something different. I mean, we get it every day. Yeah, it's fresh, but it's the same old thing. And it's dry and it's tasteless. We want some onions and leeks. Give us something more. And that's what we scream in our hearts sometimes. And it's not for the sake that God will be glorified in our life. It's just so that we would satiate ourselves and satisfy ourselves. And so often we look for the word from the Lord, not that we might be encouraged or furthered in the will of God, but so that we can find contentment and satisfaction in our own will. God says, you want prophecy? You want to hear from me? I've spoken. And when I speak that word to you, it ain't going to be nothing different to what you've received and what you've heard. It will apply to your situation and you'll be able to receive it as such. But if you get dissatisfied with that, you know what? I'll give you quail. I'll give you meat till it's coming out your nostrils, till you're sick of it. And I think that's what we see today. Flesh, quail, flesh. Till it's coming out of our nostrils, proverbially speaking. 
Too much to say, too little time. One of the things we're going to be doing is, um, as we engage in a new season um, come Easter, we're going to be having some bodybuilding nights where we'll come together and we'll worship. And we'll take the opportunity to expound on these things more so that we're, in, we're all on the same page. So that we're all on the same page and we'll also have opportunity to grow in the development and the expression of the gifts as we understand it more clearly biblically. But 1 Thessalonians 5 says this. It says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. In that order. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Do not despise prophecy. Prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. And that is our endeavored commitment. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Concrete, rock solid. Sure foundation. We bless you, Lord. Jesus, you said that you have come in the volume of the book. It speaks of you. As you went and walked with the guys on the road to Emmaus, you expounded the scriptures, the prophets, and the law on you. Showed how they speak of you. We recognize, Lord Jesus, that you are the living word of which the written word speaks by your spirit. And it's clear and it's committed unto us. And in it, we have received all things that pertain to life and godliness. All that we need, Lord. And we thank you. And we bless your name. And yet, Lord, we thank you that you are not a, a God who sits silent in heaven. But you do speak to our hearts by your spirit and you echo your word and you bring it to our remembrance and you bring us in remind, remind, um, remembrance of it, Lord. And you cause us to be able to encourage one another with your word, Lord, as being prophecy. And you enable us to speak that word in season. Therefore, allowing you to bring clarity and guidance, comfort, edification, and exhortation. You build us up, you stir us up, and you hug us up, Lord. We thank you. Continue to speak, Lord. To speak as your scripture is expounded. Continue to speak, Lord. As we saturate ourselves in your word and seek to love one another and encourage in one another with your word. Have your way, Lord, consistently among us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name.